All right, Galatians chapter number one. Galatians chapter number one, verse number 14. I promise you eventually we'll get out of it, probably next week. Every, uh, every time I research sermons later in the chapters, something jumps out at me from earlier, so we have to go back and look at it. <laughs> and so... Galatians chapter number 1, verse number 14. And profited in the Jews' religion above many my equals in my own nation, being more accidentally zealous of the traditions of my father. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, to reveal his Son in me, that I might preach him among the heathen, immediately I... Conferred not with flesh and blood, neither went I up to Jerusalem to them which were the apostles before me, but I went into Arabia and returned again unto Damascus. And after three years I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter, and abode with him fifteen days. But other of the apostles saw I none, save James, the Lord's brother. Now the things behold I write unto you, behold before God I lie not." Let's pray. Lord, we come before you this morning, Lord, and we're thankful you allowed us to come and gather and worship, Lord. I just pray that you'd be honored and glorified as we look at this idea of a driven gospel, Lord. We ask all these things, your name, amen. The gospel drives us, or it should drive us. Whether we realize it or not, it drives us. Both of the true gospel and the false gospel. Both drive us. And that's what Paul it, it kind of makes for boring reading. Um, I realize it's not maybe not as quite as boring as the genealogies and you know Deuteronomy and that, but it, that wasn't the most exciting Bible verses. But the truth of the matter is this is that Paul was trying to make a point. He's trying to make a point. Are we trying to please God? Or are we trying to please man? See, religion tries to please man. Again, we can boil down every, just about every, well, every religion. They, they make the rules. They hold you to the rules. Come to church on Sunday morning, tip God, give God your 20 bucks, and never come back until Sunday morning again. And people are completely fine with that. Why? Because they're, ple- they're appeasing man. They look good to man. Come to church and we're, as people say, we're dressed in our Sunday best. Why? Why? Ask yourself this question. Why do you wear to church what you wear to church? Did somebody tell you that's what you had to wear? Well, if you're a good Christian, that's what you'll look like. Again, all the way back when I, teenager, little kid, well, you know, you know, you got your, your hat turned around backwards and your pants halfway down your backside and you got your gold chain. You don't look like a Christian. 
But if I, but if I wear a three-piece suit with cufflinks and a pocket card, all of a sudden I look like a Christian? That's not true either. Christians are always in the minority. Christians are always in the minority. I may not look like a drug dealer, but I look like a Fortune 500 CEO, banker, who, by the way, might go home and get drunk and beat his wife and kids. This, we, we've got, why do we do the things that we do? Are we trying to please God? Or are we trying to please man? I always found it funny, you know, that the gangbangers are the ones that, that have their pants halfway down their backside. Which again, that, that doesn't make any much sense to me either. Because if you're a gangbanger, you're probably going to you know, be getting in a fight. And you know, all of a sudden, you, you can't run with your pants halfway down. You're, you can't use your legs to fight. So then you're limited to just your arms. And by the way, if I'm in a fight, I, I'll, I'll, I'll play dirty. I don't care. I'm, I'm in it to win it. But then I've got to use one hand to hold, hold up my pants. So all of a sudden... <laughs> Down to one appendage that I can use to defend myself. That doesn't make any sense either. But they dress that way. Why? Because they're trying to please the group that they want to be a part of. Just like people in religions. Why? I mean, you've got some religions that tell you you've got to buy a special kind of underwear. Why? Why do they do that? Because they want to fit in with those people. They're trying to appease those people. And Paul says that the gospel drives us. Now the false gospel drives us to try and please other people. The true gospel drives us to try and please God. The true gospel delivers us from the burden to please men. We all want to be liked on some degree, on some level. We all want to be liked. I joke with Kendra. I tell her, I don't care if people like me. And while my, whether you like me or doesn't like me, does, it honestly probably doesn't rank very high on my list of things. The truth of the matter is, is we all like to be liked. But the true gospel delivers us from the burden of people's expectations on our lives. We no longer have to try and please man. We're commanded to please God. Because by God's grace, we are accepted and we're pleasing to him. Why? Because when God looks at us, he doesn't see us. He sees Jesus. There's something that we, Western Christianity, many times we have forgotten. The gospel was given to us to proclaim. It wasn't given to us to define. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. It doesn't say go and tell people what the gospel is. 
The God, we, we, the last couple of weeks, we've looked at what the gospel is. Bottom line, the gospel is Jesus. Now go and tell people about Jesus. Go and tell people about what Jesus has done in your life. Go and tell people, hey, I used to not be a very good person. And although I'm not a very good person anymore, it doesn't matter because God sees me as Jesus. And Jesus is perfect. All I did was put my faith and trust in him. And you can do the same thing. But how are they going to hear without a preacher? The gospel is not ours to change, it's ours to proclaim. Again, the, the pendulum can be on both sides. We can be too conservative, we can be too liberal. Depending on what our preferences are, depending on what we are trying to do to appease and please men. There was a so I saw something on, on Facebook this week that uh, several pastors, uh, apparently one person saw it and they, it, it went viral, is that what they say? And uh, just all over. They had a picture of, honestly to me it looked like a gathering for the Kentucky Derby. All the ladies had their fancy hats on. That was half of the picture. The other half of the picture looked like a rock concert. Both of them apparently were at church service. Can I tell you? They're both wrong. We think that we have to, we have to be seeker friendly and we have to appease the world. We don't have to appease the world. We're not going to reach the world by being like the world. But we do have to be accessible to the world. And if we look like clowns and goofballs and, again, you, you heard me say it. How many, uh, Amish country isn't that far away. But honestly, how often do you hear about somebody joining the Amish religion? Why? Because they're a sideshow circus act. They're a novelty. And if we're not careful, the church of Jesus Christ is going to become that. Because we've decided to define what things are as opposed to just proclaim what things are. But here in verse number 13, Paul gives his testimony. For ye have heard of my conversion in times past in the Jewish religion, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it. Paul's testimony of the gospel. Paul starts with his sinful past. Paul, Paul is, is writing to the Galatians and they says, you, you, before I came here, you guys heard about me. How I wasted the church of God. How I made a mockery of it. How I tried to dispose of it. How I tried to ruin it. How I tried to kill it. I made fun of it. Look at verse number 14. And profited in the Jewish religion above many of my equals in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous of the traditions of my fathers. 
Paul goes on and says, not, not, I, was, I was zealous. I thought I was right. But I was zealous for the wrong things. I was zealous for the traditions of my father. I just simply took the pill that everybody in the nation of Israel was shoving down my throat. And I ran with it. And the truth of the matter is this. If we are not in the Bible every day of our lives, someone can say something and it can sound pretty good. When, can I remind you, when Satan came to Eve, he quoted scripture. When Satan came to Jesus at the beginning of the New Testament, he quoted the Old Testament. He used the Bible. And if I, I gave you the example that I could take Bible verses out of context and go to, and tell you that we're supposed to go, everybody's supposed to go commit suicide. And I can use the King James Bible to do that. Now anybody that has any common sense knows that that's not right. But the reason why we know that is because we're in the Bible. And how quickly... Again, last week we looked at if we're putting too much emphasis on people. Well, that person has a better education than me in that certain area. Doesn't mean that they're right. I mean, there, there for a while, really smart people thought the earth was flat. They had, a, they had a high degree of education, but they were wrong. In ancient Greece, they thought the earth revolved around the sun. And we're talking, we're talk, this is in, Jesus, in Paul's day, where they stood on Mars Hill and they would discuss certain things. And if you didn't have a certain degree, a certain level of education, you weren't allowed to open your mouth. Those people, those educated people, would say that the earth revolved, was the center of the universe. So just because someone has a bunch of letters after the last name, or just because of somebody's last name or the position that they had, if we put too much emphasis on man and not enough emphasis on God, we can get ourselves in trouble very quickly. I mean, Paul, he was the Pharisee of the Pharisees. Paul is saying, can't you see? This is what the Judaizers are trying to do. They're trying to pull you back into the zealousness of the old laws. Again, with the, the rich young ruler, Jesus, what do I have to do to be saved? you got to keep the, the commandments. And I can just see it in my mind. His voice gets a little bit louder. He stands a little bit taller. A smirk comes across his face as he says, I've done them all since my youth. He's proud of it. He was, I was zealous about it. But he didn't get saved. He wasn't saved. But that's what they're trying to do. They look good. They have a lot of energy behind them. Can I remind you, it it's, was almost 70 years ago now, there was a pretty zealous guy in Europe. He was zealous about what he believed in. And a whole lot of people followed him. 
But he was wrong. By the way, he would use scripture in many of his speeches. See, religion makes us think we're good. Religion makes us think that we're good. We, we were, we're trying to appease men, so we come to church. Check mark. I'm dressed properly. Check mark. I listen to the right type of music. Check mark. I give. Check mark. I serve in the nursery. Teach Sunday school. Check mark. We can go down the list. Check mark. Religion makes us look good to men. The problem is, is that what about when something bad happens? What happens when we do something bad? See, we don't like to think about the fact one bad cancels out all the good you've ever done. If you want to travel the path of the other gospel, you have to realize and recognize that's what you're saying and that's what you're doing. One bad will cancel out all the good. And that's what the Judaizers are trying to drag them back to. You mess up one time and it's over with. We remember the bad in life. We remember the bad in life. All through the Bible, God shows us how the heroes weren't all that good. Do you remember our series from last year? I mean, Jacob basically was a used car salesman. Moses was a murderer. David was an adulterer. Noah had intimate relations with his own son. And yet every single one of those people are in Hebrews chapter number 11. Along with a whole bunch of other ones. Along with Lot, which Lot never did. There's not one good thing ever recorded about Lot until Hebrews chapter number 11. And that is this, when God says he vexed his righteous soul. That's it. I'm... I realize that not everything written about Lot is written in the Bible. But there's not one good thing written about Lot. Not one. I mean, Lot, Lot was that person that everybody is good for everything, even if it's a bad example. That's Lot. But the Bible says that Lot was saved, and he's, he's in the hall of faith, if you will. The religious <laughs> hall of fame. We have to be careful what we follow, what we worship. I asked Kendra this the other day. And I'm, I'm not saying that we do do it, but what I am saying is that we need to be careful because there are people that do do it. We talk and sing and we've got it hanging up back here. You know that's just wood, right? There's nothing special about that. In itself. Are we worshiping that? 
That's just a religious symbol. That, that mean, we can take that down, we can do away with it, and it's not going to change anything outside of the decor. Our hymn book, you know, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. The old rugged cross, how I love, how I love the old rugged cross. Okay, but why do you love the old rugged cross? Do you love it because it's a symbol of your religious system? We have to remember that the grace is the free, unmerited favor of God working to change our lives. Again, the Judaizers, and they're afraid that what, if, if we are no longer under the law, we're no longer following law, which by the way, we're going to look at the law here in a couple weeks. Then we're going to do, I mean, it's going to be like, free love, you know, the 1960s, where everybody just does what they want and what makes them feel good. But we, that's because people don't have the proper view and understanding of what the gospel is. The gospel is the unmerited favor of God that changes your life. If your life isn't changed, then you didn't get the gospel. You may or may not have gotten your fire insurance, but you definitely didn't get the gospel. If you're not a different person today than you were five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, however long you've been saved, however long you've been alive, you didn't get the gospel. Again, one of those stupid statements that we all make, I made one. The Bible says that God doesn't change, so I'm going to be godly and I'm not going to change. That sounds pretty good, doesn't it? Trying to be Christ-like. Dumb. Stupid. We all change. We're all becoming more like Christ. Or at least we should be. And if we're not, then we've got a serious problem. Either you're not saved or you didn't get the gospel, or you got the wrong gospel. Which, those two go hand in hand. See, we like to be, we like to be worthy of things. But the exciting, what's exciting about the gospel is this, we can never be worthy of his grace. We think that we have to, we, we realize that we don't have to work to get it, but we think we have to work to keep it. Again, God didn't save us because he saw something good deep down inside us. The Bible says there's none that doeth good. No, not one. You can't, we cannot earn, deserve anything when it comes to God's grace. And nothing we do 
Nothing we do can change that. Brother Modder's dealing with his hip, knee, ankle, backbone, all of the above. They won't, they won't give him painkiller because of the, the pendulum of society has swung too far the other way. So he was, he was joking about the other night that he had to go down to the shady part of town to get his, get his drugs. He was joking, just so you know. But when, when he did that, or if he did that, doesn't change God's love for him. It doesn't. It might change our view of him, but it doesn't change God's love for him. And while it may have may hurt, the things that we do may hurt our fellowship with God. It doesn't change God's love and God's grace for us. The same is true when you do something good. <laughs> I led someone to the Lord, Jesus. Wonderful. It says there's a rejoicing in the presence of angels, but guess what? God doesn't love you anymore because you did it. Nothing we do changes God's view of us. Because remember this saying, what you do to get something, you have to do to keep it. What you do to get something, you have to do to keep it. Which, by the way, what, what did we have to do, if we want to use that word, what did we have to do to get saved? What do we have to do to get grace? Accept it. What we do to get God's love and God's favor is what we have to do to keep it. We just have to accept it. We're, we're working on this, but one, one of our children, when he gets corrected, his newest thing is to say, I guess I'm just a bad kid. Not a bad kid. Just made a mistake. When we plug it into Christianity, you're just going to have to deal with the fact that God loves you. I messed up. You're just going to have to deal with the fact that God loves you. I mean, I, I told a lie. I deal with the fact that God loves you. I went somewhere I shouldn't have went. You're going to have to deal with the fact that God loves you. I did something. Whatever, whatever it is. I got mad at my wife. I got mad at my husband. I got mad at my kids. You're going to have to deal with the fact that God loves you. Because it doesn't matter what you do. God loves you. It doesn't even matter if you're saved or not. For God so loved the world. For the world got saved, God loved it. Which, by the way, I'm getting on a rabbit trail here, but the great white throne judgment is the fact that people have to deal with the fact that God loves them. And the fact that God loved them and they didn't respond properly. They're going to have to deal with. So when it comes to this idea of the gospel and this idea of grace, just come to the realization that God loves you and respond properly. 
See, the gospel calls us out of religion just as much as it calls us out of unreligion. So many times we... It's not jumping from... Oh, you know, I, I used to be a Catholic and now I'm a Baptist. Or, you know, I used to be a Mormon and now I'm a Presbyterian. Or So many times that that's what we think. Well, someone gets saved and automatically they're in the right religion. See, the gospel calls us out of the religious mind frame of always trying to please men. Always trying to please, trying to please men. Deep, dark jungles of Africa or Papua New Guinea or where they throw their babies to the alligators and crocodiles and set fires underneath images. Why, why do they do that? They say, well, we've got to appease the spirits. They're lying. They do that to appease men. Because what they don't tell you is this. If you don't sacrifice your kid, I'm going to come take your kid. If you don't come, if you, if you, if you don't do that, then you're, you're not going to get your rations of food for the day. Again, I realize it's a rabbit trail, but you've heard me make the statement that communism is a religion. Do you begin to understand if you, don't, if you don't do what we think you, you should do, then you're not going to get your rice or your beans or potatoes, depending on what region of the country communism is in. Communism is a religion. If you don't do what we, what we think you should do, you're not going to be accepted. And that mentality has crept into churches all across the world. People walk in the back doors and instantaneously. Well, they're not part of my group. Look at the way they're dressed. Or I saw that car parked somewhere where it shouldn't have been the other day. In my opinion, it shouldn't have been there. If you want to be part of my group, then this is the way that you're going to have to look. The gospel changes us now for then. The gospel changes us now for heaven. This world is not my home. I'm just a passenger. I, that for whatever reason this past week that, that Bible verse where it talks about where we're strangers and pilgrims in the land it really jumped out at me this week I look at it well let me ask you this question I may make you mad I apologize I'm not trying to make you mad I'm just trying to get you to think 
how can we get behind a political figure who's well he's a sinner we'll just leave it at that because we're all sinners right and we can't get behind a fellow Christian who gives a clear presentation that they put their faith and trust in Jesus but they don't do the things that we think they should do Can I just be honest with you? That makes me sick. Makes me a little mad. And I'm not saying that anybody in this room is doing that. I'm just saying in general. How can, how can people who call themselves Christians get behind somebody who's not nice to women? but they can't get behind somebody just because their hair is a little too long or their skirt's a little too short. Or their music has a wrong instrument in it. The gospel changes us now for heaven. You hear me say it? There's going to be people in heaven that you don't like. The second thing it does is it talks about our past, but it sanctifies our present. It sanctifies our present. It sets us apart. Who God saves, he changes. If you haven't changed, then you didn't get saved. I realize that's a bit blunt. But the truth of the matter is, is if you didn't change, you didn't get saved. And we say, well, you know, we're, we, that's easy to say and that's easy to understand and that's easy to agree with when they're the deep, dark jungles of sin. I mean, you know, they're smoking three packs a day and, you know, down in a keg and, uh, you know, running around on cheating on their wife. And so they get saved and they don't do those things anymore. Yeah, God changes them. But what about that? little boy that grew up in the Catholic Church that was a choir boy that never did anything humanly speaking that was all that bad. See, he, he needs to change just as much as the other person needs to change. God's going to change him just as much as God's going to change the drug addict. Who God saves, he changes and if you haven't been changed, you didn't get saved. It may not be as a very outwardly as other people, but inwardly, you've better changed. Again, that's why we make the statement. I want everyone to feel welcome here. No matter who they are, what they wear, what they look like, I don't care. But you better not leave the same way. Every single time you come into what we refer to as the house of God, we've lost a little bit of respect for the house of God. We think that that we, that we, we show that respect by, well, you know, we're not going to have, you know, drums on the platform and we're, we're going to have conservative music. And, and all of those things are wonderful, but that's not how we show respect for God. 
show respect for God when we pay attention and we listen and we say, God, change me. I may look pretty good to these people that I'm worshiping with, but on the inside, I'm dirty, I am filthy, I am wretched. You need to change me. So today, when I enter your house, change me. Don't let me worry about what's going on anywhere else. Everything is just a tool to get us to that point. And different people respond differently. But we better get to that point. I, 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 I am not the type of person that generally, for the most part, music, you guys know I'm not musically inclined. The vast majority of the time, if I'm in, driving around town, I have sports radio. If it was up to me, the first 15, 20 minutes of church would be done away with. I don't, it's the purpose of the music is to prepare our hearts for worship. But you know, there's some people that their hearts are already prepared for worship before the song service ever starts. They don't need it. But there are people who do need it. That's what we do. Do you know there, there are people that worship God better and they get more out of the service in music than they do out of the preaching? There are some people that get more out of the preaching. But everything we do is to get us closer to God. And we have to do multiple different things because we're not all the same. We have very different personalities. And what works for one person won't work for another. Saul became Paul. His whole life changed. I mean, he, was, he went from killing Christians to starting all kinds of churches. Who God saves, he changes. But God doesn't save us for us. Okay, God didn't save us because he felt sorry for us. He saved us for him. That's why there's nothing good in us. And it doesn't matter that there's not nothing, anything good in us. God still loves us. Why? Because he loves us because it's who he is. It's because of who he wants to be. It has nothing to do with you has everything to do with him. Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created everything. Why? And he, gets to, and he gets down to the... He creates everything, and he's still not happy. And I realize this might be a bit simplistic, but God just wants a friend. I mean, he, he, I don't know about you, but I'm not very pretty to look at. There are, everything else in creation is probably prettier to look at than a human being. So it's not our beauty. It's not our appearance. If you just wanted, I mean, he already had, who knows how many angels there are. He's already got a whole bunch of angels that do everything for him that he wants them to do. So it's not our service. And we will go down the list. God just wants a friend. 
And everything that God did after Adam and Eve sinned was to get us back to the point where we could be his friend. Doesn't save us because we have great potential. Because if that's the truth, we can go very quickly from grace to self-righteousness. I always, I've never met a man that this isn't true of. A man always marries up. I'd just be honest with you. Brad, you married up. I'm just letting you know. Mr. Cole, you married up. I married up. I tease her sometimes. I don't tease. I, I mean, I, I say these things, and I'm 100% convinced of these things, but at the same time, I know that that's not true. But I tell her all the time, Kendra, she's just perfect. But she's not. She's a sinner. Just like I'm a sinner. I'm, as, although I may, may have married up, she's still a sinner. Guess what? My kids are sinners. I mean, you, you would think, I mean, after all, as wonderful as a person as I am, and she's perfect. Can you believe that my kids are sinners? I, I know that's a hard thing. No, we're, we're all sinners. People are going to offend people. Why? Because we're sinners. We're going to do things that the other people don't like. God doesn't love us because we're serviceable. We're broken beyond repair. That's why it's not about flipping over a new leaf, showing our better side. There's no new, there's no better side. We can't be repaired. And that's what religion tries to do. Religion says, okay, we got this, we've got this broken person, and if we take this part and this part and we start plugging in new parts, it'll look pretty good. We're not serviceable. That's why we're supposed to be a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. You can't lose what you didn't earn. If you didn't earn it, you can't lose it. And then there's a transformative process, Paul says. We'll never be sinless on this earth. I think we know, we understand that. We become like Christ. Mortality and corruptions be, becomes immortal and incorruptible, but it doesn't happen on this earth. 
But this is, this is why grace in the gospel, and it's so important. Jesus sees us as perfect because he sees us as eternal. The only, I, honestly, if we could buy special glasses that we see people in the spiritual realm, this is what we would see based on the fact of either being saved or lost. You're either good or bad. And it has nothing to do with you. Because eternity is this. Either you get to go to heaven or you get to go to hell. And it has, heaven has nothing to do with you. But because we've accepted Jesus as our Savior, when God looks at us, He looks at us and sees the eternal us, not the earthly us. Naturally, it's a natural process when people are believers. They desire the Bible. It's a natural process. If you, if you don't want to be in your Bible, you're not saved. You say, Pastor, how can you say that? Because the Bible, the God says it. The Gospel says it. It's just natural. I'm not... Hey, Paul, Paul, said, but Paul says this. The things that I want to do, I don't do. The things that I shouldn't do, I do do. So whether, whether or not you read your Bible, I'm not saying makes you say. What I'm saying is if you don't want to, there's a difference between understanding and application. We all make mistakes. We all get our priorities messed up. We all get things out of order. We all have busy days and we don't read or as much as we should. But do we feel bad when we don't? Is there desire there? This is the importance. That's why church is so important. Because it helps you grow and it helps you help other people grow. You've heard me say it. How in the world could we? Well, I don't. I don't like coming to church. Maybe it's not for you. Maybe, maybe you've gotten to the point in your life where you don't need church. But there's people that need you, and they're going to come to church. I need you. Can I just be blunt and frank for a minute? I need, I need somebody that's going to be faithful to church that can lead the music. Because you guys have been stuck with me what for a year, you know it, it ain't good. Well, I don't need to come to church. I need you to come to church. I need somebody that's going to be here all the time that can run the sound system. So I don't have to run back and forth. Well, I don't, I don't need to come to church. I need you to come to church. Because I can't do it by myself. 
we need somebody that's going to be able to teach the teenage Sunday school class. But she can't do it all. She can do a lot. If you guys saw my post the other week, it was a bit, I, I mean, it was lighthearted, but I was serious. She gets up at 5.30 in the morning to teach. And then she's got to teach our brat kids. And then she's got to cook lunch, and then she's got to clean the house, and then and all the while she's got to put up with her husband, cook dinner, and then she has to teach again, and she has to play the piano. And by the way, it's not what you see just on Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. There's more than that that goes into the piano. She's here early practicing because she's got a pastor that wants to always try something new. So she's got to practice. And on top of that, she's got to teach Sunday school class. Why? Because people, I don't know. I have, I, I have tried to make it as simple as possible. Have I ever, honestly, have I ever told anybody that there was any requirements to do anything in church? The only requirement is that a man be faithful. That's what the Bible says. At some point in time, was it James says, having compassion, making a difference. At some point in time, we have to get from the point in our spiritual life where it's not about being served. It's about serving. Otherwise, we're not, we're not being changed. If we don't have the right view of the gospel, if it's always about, well, what can you do for me? What can you do for me? What can you do for me? At some given point in time, there's nothing that I can do for you. But there's hopefully lots that you can do for other people. Verse number 15. I'm sorry, verse number 16. To reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the heathen. Immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood. Jesus told Paul that you're persecuting me. Paul thought, I mean, Paul honestly thought he was doing what he was supposed to do. That's why the the phrase, a man who walks with God will always arrive at his destination. If you honestly are in this book doing what you think you're supposed to do, it doesn't matter what other men think because eventually God will get you to the right place. But knowledge and revelation aren't the same thing. There's an awful lot of people in church that know, but nothing's been revealed to them. That's the work of the gospel. You can come to church, and I can give you knowledge. You can read your Bible, and that'll give you knowledge. Sunday school class, knowledge, Bible Knowledge. 
knowledge, knowledge. But revelation comes from God. Too many times we base our actions on knowledge and not on revelation. Well, so-and-so smart and -and so-and-so says that this is what we're supposed to do, so this is what we're going to do. Did God tell you that? So-and-so's smart, so this is what we're supposed to do, but did God tell you to do something different? That's the work of the gospel. People get excited about knowledge. But they don't get excited about the gospel. That's why Jesus asked the question, "Whom do men say that I am?" And a bunch of bunch of they said, "Well, they say that you're you're smart and that you're religious and that you're esteemed and you're all of these things. You're of high moral character. You're a leader in society." Knowledge. Who do you say that I am? Well, you're Christ, the Son of the living God. Well done, Peter. Flesh and blood didn't reveal this unto you. For the vast majority of the series, we're going to look at these things. What is the gospel? How does it work? What it looks like. The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, meekness, gracious, long-suffering. I don't know if you ever realized this. I didn't. Still, I started researching it. All those things we can't produce. We can't produce those things. God produces those things. We just get to enjoy them. Other people around us get to enjoy them. It's not not very enjoyable to be around somebody that's not meek or loving or gracious. But we, we, we can't conjure it up. We can't work harder at these things. It's just God working in us. Verse number 24. And they glorified God in me. The Bible says, For thy glory all things are and were created. Ask yourself one simple question. Is what I'm doing is glorify God. I'm not any less glorifying God. I'm not any less loved by God. 
Sometime I'll tell you a story about Kai's. It's a weird story. You're doing the things you're doing. Because man told you to do it. <coughs> you're doing it for the wrong reason. Let's just do what God wants us to do. What does the Bible say? Walk humbly. There's three of them, I forget what they are. Walk humbly. Love mercy. Do justice. That's what's required of man. It's required of man that he be found faithful, walk humbly, love mercy, do justice. If you're faithful in those three areas, that's all God requires of you. Let's pray. Lord, we come before you this morning, Lord, and we're thankful of everything you've done for us. Lord, I pray that we're doing the things that we're doing for the right reasons. We can do a lot of things for the wrong reasons.